Okay, this is a really great day to be here because we're going to look at a, a passage today that's going to teach us um, how, how to like, see our faith in Christ how, and how, how we can grow in our faith in Christ. And if our faith in Christ isn't growing, we're going to look at why that happens and how to fix it. So it's huge, right? It's huge. Uh, we're building it. It's kind of a two-part series built on last week. So let me quickly review last week and then we'll storm into the passage before us. Last week, I want to let you know and remind most of you that the vision of Grace Covenant Church is you. You're the grace, you're the vision of grace, that every believer would be a minister maturing in what that means. There's multiple passages that would justify this as a vision, but here's, here's the ones we looked at last week, a couple sentences. This is what God says about us. For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. If you look at those sentences, you'll see that God is promising two things, a new identity and a new purpose. He says that it doesn't matter what you think about yourself, he sees you as royal priests. Yeah, you should be shameful because that's how he found you, and then he gives you nobility. You should feel a sense of worthlessness, but he says, not anymore, you're very, my very own possession. That's identity. And then he says, for that reason, because of that new identity, you get to be the one that explains the goodness of God and how he took you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so when we say that you are the vision of Grace Covenant Church, we mean that every believer is a minister here, and our goal, our goal and job and the things that we do, and you'll see, is to help people better understand this new identity, right? Or I should go like this, our new identity and our new purpose in life. And, and as we, here's, a, here's some vocabulary from the Bible. You become mature, complete, perfect in understanding of what God says you are, and you begin to believe that. At Grace, I'm just the pastor, but you, you're the you're the minister, right? And so what we're trying to do is build you up in that value of being ministers. And last week we used, uh, for illustrative purposes, our, our faith looks like a pie. It looks like a pie. And the reason that the pie or a circle makes for a good illustration is it shows that if your faith in Christ, your faith in God, your trust in God is in the middle of that pie, you can see that it's, gonna, it's going to touch all aspects of your life. And it's going to touch the way because it, it, it changes your faith in Christ. is supposed to change the way you, what you value and the choices you make and the way you think and, and the way you live. And so it touches the various wedges of your life, the, your personal life, right, your professional life, your home life, your hobbies, those sorts of things. So that's what we looked at last week, how to live that. This week we're going to look at, okay, about that faith in God part. How do we grow that? How do we move the influence of our trust in Christ, the promises of God, the very nature of God? How do we grow that out? How do we move from like fear to confidence? How do we go from being an anxious person to one who is at peace? You see? See the metaphor and how it's working? The answer to the question, how do we grow our faith, is found in one of, one of well, it might be the, the single most quoted passage in all of the Bible. It's called the Shema. It is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You read it. Here it is again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today, that you shall put them on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit at the house, and when you walk on the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and you shall strap them as forefronts between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the outside of your gate. It's called the Shema. It's the central text of Israel and for all people that are followers of Jesus Christ and the God of Abraham. Because God himself says, this is where faith begins. You know, hear, Shema, hear, Shema literally means hear. Listen, O Christian, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. That's, the, that's where everything is built. That's how your faith grows, is learning to love him with everything. This is such a sacred passage that verse 4, I'm the, I'm the Lord, the Lord is one. It's the first sentence little Jewish boys will learn. Uh, it it's, could, could possibly be the first sentence that Jesus uh, learned as a little baby. The Shema is repeated by every Jewish person that's, uh, you know, committed. It says that the first thing in the morning, the last thing they, they say before they go to bed at night. And that's why, because it's so influential. So why is this passage, this Deuteronomy chapter 6, why is it to the answer to the question, how do we grow our faith bigger? How do we trust God more? Well, before we can get to the answer to how Deuteronomy 6 answers that, we have to do a little diagnostic work on our own souls. So two questions you have to answer first. One, what area of life do you have the most difficult time trusting God? What area do you feel the most threat? Or honestly, you can just appeal to the emotion of fear. Where are you most afraid? That's the first question. Because when we live by faith, the, the circle is expanding out. It, it doesn't go into all the wedges of life equally. There's pockets of our lives where we don't trust God as much as we do in other pockets. And and it's different for different people, but I'm going to appeal to a couple uh, where people don't live by faith because they're brought up so much in the Bible. One is uh, children. That this child or these children are very precious to me, and where other aspects of my life I'm willing to like reach out and trust God in big ways. When it comes to the children, that's not going to happen. I, I have some plans, and I want to make sure they're safe, and I don't want any, you know, unknowns involved in that. So I'm not going to trust God there. I'll stay in charge. It happens pretty easily. Another area, again, mentioned throughout the Bible, is um, our resources, right? Our, our, our financial security. And back then it was financial security, but just the, the ability to provide food for yourself. And that, the, again, both of these are really good things. They have vi high values and we should cherish them because we all want to be responsible for ourselves. We want to be independent in many respects of of having other people take care of us. And we're taught, what's interesting, especially, you know, as modern people, we're taught, give us this day our daily bread. Nah, we don't want daily bread. We want daily bread after all of our bread is warehoused until, what, we're like 97? Then we can trust God for stuff. And then what happens is, again, we don't want variables. We don't want risk in this section of our life. And so we'll say, I'll take care of that. I don't need to trust God for that. And I'll start being generous when all 
of these other things are taken care of. So can, can you see? So can you, those are just two examples, and I'll keep running these examples through our learning time today. Can you pick the part of your life where you're the most threatened, where you're the least likely to trust God in big ways? You got it? That's our first question. The second question is why? Why won't you trust God there? Why won't you turn that you know, wedge of your life over to the nature and the promises of God? Why, why won't you live free? Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's a probably half a dozen reasons uh, the way you can answer the question, why don't you don't trust God? One of the more common ones is, uh, I want to live my life. It's my life. There's some things I want in my life, and I know God won't give those things to me, and I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the king of my own universe, and I like being in charge. I'll follow God when he does what he's told. That's pretty common when you put you know, the ego on, on, the, on, the, on the throne of your life, that's not for today. That is a good reason that people don't trust God. But the one that the Shema goes after, Deuteronomy 6, is attacking this. The passage that we're looking at says, we don't trust God. Answer the question, why don't we trust God in this area? We don't trust God in these areas that we really cherish because we don't trust that he wants it as bad as we do. We don't trust that he loves those things as much as we love those things. We maybe don't trust that he can't control those things the way that are necessary. He doesn't have the capability of doing that. So, uh, example again, when we look at our children, we say, we want our children to be successful and happy, and we know how to get that done. And so we're going to parent the plan, we're going to work the plan, and we don't need outside help. Thank you very much. No variables necessary. Because, listen, why? Because we love that child so much, we can't turn that over to, you know, something that's, you know, God. And we probably think, I mean, there's no, there's no human that could love our child more, and maybe even God himself. And so I'll have to do this. Uh, in our, again, personal finances or more importantly, security, you know, our, our own security. This is something that I absolutely need to make sure happens. This is what it means to be responsible. And I'll be generous when it's time to be generous. But right now, I need to make sure I'm first and foremost responsibility. And faith is just going to get in the way of that. So the questions are, okay, well, you know, the answer, the big question that we're looking on at is why can't our faith grow? How come our, our circles aren't getting any bigger, especially in this particular life, part of, aspect of my life? Why do I fear so much that I won't let God into this part? How come the promises of God aren't working and causing me to enjoy the abundant life more? Here's the, here's the answer to the question. You trust in the wrong God. The reason you can't trust God in certain areas of your life, especially areas that are precious to you, is because you're not trusting the God of the Bible. You're trusting a God in your mind. Okay? <laughs> it, the, the God of Abraham and Esther and David and Peter and Mary that's a different God than who you're trusting. You want a faith like these saints? You have to have the same God as these saints. And the God that you are not trusting is not Jehovah. And you're doing, when we don't trust God 
because something is so precious we can't turn that over to him, we're doing in the Bible what's called putting God to the test. Okay? Here's what it means to put God to the test. We're confusing the God in the Bible with the God in our mind. We have a God in our mind, we're saying, oh, that's, the, that's, that's Jehovah, that's the God of Abraham. No, it's not. That's putting God to the test. Just a few sentences down from the Shema that we'd already looked at, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall love, you shall not put Jehovah, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test and as you tested him in uh, Massa. Now that's, he's talking to the people of Israel. You, hopefully you know the story of Exodus. You saw the Ten Commandments at least once. And it, what it's referring to is the ten times where the nation of Israel were put in difficult situations, you know, by God, and then they project, they're putting God to the test, and so they project their image of God on, on the God of Abraham, on Jehovah. And they said the only way this makes sense to us is if, I don't know, uh, one time early on after leaving Egypt, they say, what, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you took us out in the desert to kill us? You, you want to kill us? And they said, uh, are you trying to poison us? Right? Or, or, yeah, are you, are you going to kill us through starvation, no provisions? You won't, you're not a God who provides. Later on, they'll say, are you going to make sure that we all get killed because of the bad guys? Are you not going to protect us? And ultimately, each time they project their image of God on Jehovah and they say, you don't love us. That's the problem. We can't trust you because you're not trustworthy. And God is saying, what? That's not who I am. That's not even me. Don't test me, he says. Don't use that little God in your head and throw him at me like that's me. Let me, let me here, the word test in the Bible in this context means to be guilty until proven innocent. Or to be, you know, have guilt until you can show up and prove me otherwise regularly, repetitiously. And so, since it happens when we're in desert situations, since my life isn't going well, you are a God who hates me. My life isn't working out like I wanted, and so you, you love me being in misery. I will follow you, Lord, as long as I understand everything that's happening to me, or I enjoy everything that's happening to me. So, the thing, the, the most valuable and precious things in our life are the areas where we fear trusting God. In those times, we find ourselves testing God. We hear ourselves being in the desert saying, you don't care about my children or my financial well-being or my health or you hate me. And, and the, so, going back to the big question, why is it that we can't grow our faith? Because our faith isn't in the God of the Bible. The reason you can't trust God is because the God you trust is untrustworthy. The reason you can't trust God more in the areas you most need to trust God is you're not trusting the God of the Bible. You're not trusting Jehovah. You, here's the theme. If you want your faith to grow, you have to have it in the right God. And that's the power of the Shema. 
That's how the Shema answers the question, how do you grow your faith out more influential, all aspects of your life, living the abundant life in peace? Here it is, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, you see how we've emphasized the word Lord, and the reason is, is because it is in all capital letters. And when you read the Bible and you see it in all capital letters, it is unlike Lord versus Lord, right? The lowercase letters just means it's a title, Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord of Lords means like he's being a ruler. But L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that is the formal name of Yahweh. That is, that is Moses in Exodus chapter 3, what do I call you? My name is Yahweh. We say Jehovah because its name is sacred. That's Jehovah. That's his formal name. Hear, O Christian, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is one. This whole idea, Jehovah is one, means I'm the real God. You don't invent me. I invented you. You don't tell me who I am. I'll tell you who you are. I am Jehovah. I am the all-powerful, loving Savior that lives, right, that, that sent his only son that he might live amongst you, die, and be resurrected so we could have a, a relationship. Stop putting me to the test. Stop imagining your little petty God and, and putting that on me. You see, how, you see how angry he would be that he would be put to the test having your image of God project out on him, and then you go, I wonder why I can't live by faith, because you're not believing in Jehovah. I know this is somewhat obscure. Let me try to make it a little more concrete for you. Um, let's pretend you lost your ride today, and you went out in the lobby, and you found it'd be better if you thought of yourself for 16 or 17 years old, kind of a new driver, the point is. You go out in the lobby, and you see a guy, he's kind of in a pretty colorful jacket there, and you say, hey, listen, hey, if you don't mind, could I get a ride home with you? And, and the guy says, yeah, I'd love to give you a ride. I love giving people rides. Well, okay, so here's the thing, though. Um, I'd like to do the driving because I look at you, and I think, you're an inexperienced driver. You look like you're pretty nervous most of the time, and I don't even trust your vision. And the person you're talking to in the colorful jacket says, What? I'm an inexperienced driver. I've been driving longer than you've been alive. I was driving go-karts at five. I'm a seven-time NASCAR champion. I don't, I'm nervous. I go into corners so sharp you can't stand on. I'm going 180 miles an hour, and I'm slingshotted out at 210. I don't have side-view mirrors on my car because they'd bump into the wall. Our cars are so close when we're going 210 miles an hour, you can't beat a, put a sheet of paper between the front bumper and the back and the cars on each side. I'm scared. I'm a new driver. And my vision's perfect. So, yeah, I'm Jimmy Johnson. I'm the best NASCAR driver around. I'm driving. And then you say, so that's not the way I see you. I see you as a young and immature driver, and you got a temper, and you're kind of blind. So if we're going home, I'm going to have to drive. And Jimmy Johnson says, what? That's not even real. I wouldn't trust the guy you're not trusting. I'm asking you to trust me. Here, oh, person who needs a ride. I'm Jimmy Johnson. Do you see what's happening? 
So all God is saying here is know me, trust, trust me, trust Jehovah, not this thing in your head. And here's, here's the ironic part. The God who is is so much greater than the God you want. Because you want, you want an Aslan who's been defanged and declawed and does what he's told, but the God of the Bible is so much more. Hopefully, you will have at least a few existential moments of feeling worthless and shameful. And there's no God you could make up that would come in and step in and say, oh, yeah, you should feel worthless and shameful, but you are my very own possession. So believe that. You're going to have multiple expressions of feeling absolutely powerless and guilt-ridden. And no God in your imagination is going to give you the vision of God saying, but I called you out of darkness and into my wonderful light. The God you need is the God of Abraham and Esther and David and Mary and Peter. His name is Jehovah. The deepest longing in your soul is the God of the Bible. Hear, O Christian, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is one. He has done things. He has made promises so that you don't need to doubt in that. You need to choose this. You need to choose to have faith in him, and then your faith will grow. Let me put it a whole different way. Okay? Uh, you shouldn't have faith in the lame little paper mache God you have. I hope your little circle of faith doesn't grow because the God that you have in your head, you ought to worry. If you want to turn your children over to a God that doesn't love them as much as you, doesn't have a plan, can't execute the plan, you should worry and you should control. And what happens is, is as you control, you be controlled by controlling. Irony is always the way you die when you have a paper mache God. Listen, I hope your faith doesn't grow any bigger if you can't trust the God in the Bible for your finances. Because if he can't handle your finances, he's not the God in the Bible. And so you're going to need to worry about if you're going to have ends meet. Today, tomorrow, in retirement, you stay on that worry, and you won't just worry, you'll become a worrier. It will change who you are. That's how it goes. You always suffer from irony when you serve an idol. The point is, that's not Jehovah you're not trusting with your children. That's not Jehovah you're not trusting with your finances. That's not Jehovah you're not trusting whatever that precious thing is in your life. So how do you grow in your faith in God? How do you get his power into the various aspects where you need him the most? The first thing you do is you... Um, you find the area where he, where you, where you fear the most. Okay, this, this is like being self-aware of your faithlessness. The first thing is you find that area. The second is you find why you're so afraid to turn it over to him, and then 
You hear yourself in your head putting God to the test. Picture yourself out in the desert saying, you took us out here because I love my little son more than you do. You don't want him to be healthy. You don't want him to be happy. You want to kill him. <laughs> and when you hear, yourself hear, you hear yourself say that and you're projecting it on here, oh, Christian, Jehovah is God, Jehovah is one, you will repent. You'll, you, will, you will hear it in your minds. I hope you say it out loud and you go, oh, dear God of Abraham, how long have I been putting this on you? Oh, you, I, and you're going to ask for forgiveness and he's going to want you to come into his faith-filled living. Should you trust him, Jehovah? Could I, you know, apologize for him for just a second? I want to give you two verses. If you've never memorized anything in the Bible, just memorize these couple sentences I'm going to put up on the screen because they are a summary of who God is and the promises he's made. You latch onto this, it's a different God we're talking about. It'll be easier to trust him for the areas in your life that are so precious to you, you can't let go. You will throw these things at him. Look what it says. 831, it says, what shall we say about these things? It's a whole list of all the things that Jehovah has done. If God is for us, who could be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you, do you see what's happening here? This is what he's telling you to believe. This is why there's a sentence that someone said, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. If you believe this about God, this will cause your faith to grow. What is this saying? That he promised this. This is the very definition of love, that God is for you. Who cares who's against you? God, who gave his own son for you, he can't love you anymore. He can't give you anymore. And not only can he not give you anymore, but now that Jesus is, with, is now with him, how will he not freely give you, generously, constantly give you the things that you need? <laughs> this is God saying, throw me a bone. Look at the story. Look at the promises. You can trust me with the things that you feel like it's <laughs> the God you're not trusting is not me. God wants to get in the game with you. How do you, how do you live by faith? How do you live by faith in Jehovah God? It's, it's, it, um, it's not by saying I can't trust God with that because that's not God you're trusting. It's an acknowledgement of that. And then, and, then, and, then it's, and then it's an acknowledgement of saying, but this is so valuable to me. My personal finances and security, and I have some stuff in my background, and I'm nervous that way anyway. It's not the lessening of the value. It's not the amount of fear you have. It's the size of God that you have. Fear is part of faith-filled living. The issue is not fear. The issue is the size of the God that's quenching the, the fear. So, yeah, be afraid. And each time you do, you say, how will he not also with him freely give us all things that we need? Shut up, fear. You got overruled again. 
here's how you live by faith with your, with your children. You know, you don't say, oh, I can't trust the fate of my children with God because that's not God you're trusting or not trusting. You say, wow, I, I just really want them to be safe and happy. And then you turn and then you realize the Lord does too. And then you realize, okay, you admit the value, but, but you don't fear fear. You say, yeah, I have this much fear when it comes to the, the safety and the well-being of my children. And God says, that's good and all, but I hear, O Christian, Jehovah is God, Jehovah is one. Trust me for that. Faithful living is not fearless living. It's having a God that's bigger than the fear. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, think about Jehovah. That's the one that matters. And that's why, listen, that's why we have a class right now. Chris Thurman's teaching a class called The Lies We Believe About God. And do you know why? Because we all believe these lies about God. And each time he's going to go after those lies and he's going to say, that's not Jehovah. Here, oh, Christian, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is one. Let that go. And now you can trust the God of Abraham and Esther and David and Peter and Mary. Here's, here's what God wants from us. He wants us to be responsible human beings. He wants us to do due diligence. He'd like us to be mildly humble, just mildly humble. I am not all-knowing. I often lose my car in a parking lot. I am not all-powerful. I cannot stop myself from pocket-dialing friends. So I'm going to turn these things over to Jehovah God, the sovereign God of the universe. How do you grow in faith? You challenge the reason you don't have faith because it's not the amount of faith you have, Jesus said. You can have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's what you have faith in. How do you expand the circle of your faith into all aspects of your life? You stop testing God. You hear yourself attribute things in your little imagination, God, to Jehovah God, and you stop it and you repent and you say, I want to serve that God. How do you live free? You cut loose these aluminum foil deities and you trade up. Here, O Christian, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is one. The, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Now, watch this. I want you to watch how cha chapter 6 of the Shema, 4 and 5, are the spirit of the power of loving the only true God, and the rest of it is not a list of things to do. It's an explosion of what would naturally happen. Okay? This is not law. It's physics. It's like consequences. It's just what happens. So watch what happens. Hero is, excuse me. Hero Israel, the Lord, Jeho I'm sorry. Hero Israel, Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one, and you shall love Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Just do that. Romans chapter 8. Just do that. And then what happens? Verse 6. And then these words that I command you today, they're going to be written on your heart. And you're going to teach them diligently to your children. Of course you will. You're in love. And, when, and you should talk about them when you sit at the house and when you walk by the way and then when you lie down and when you rise up. That's what lovers do. 
and you shall bind them as signs on your hands. It's going to show up in everything you touch, everything you do. It's going to show up in the way you think, frontlets right between your eyes. Everything you think, you're going to be enamored with Jehovah God. And you shall write them down on the doorposts of your house and on the gates outside. And your circles just keep getting bigger. That's what happens. When you see yourself, you're self-aware enough to go, why am I so nervous about this thing? Because I'm, I'm trusting the wrong God. That's not Jehovah that I'm not trusting. He loves me and desires the best for me, and he doesn't answer to me. Jehovah is one. He doesn't answer to me. I don't invent him. He invents me. He doesn't ex explain himself. I just, I'm just here to trust. Here's, the, here's honestly the vision of Grace Covenant Church, that you be holy. There's a lot of moving cogs around a church this size, but I want to tell you what happens behind the screens when you're not looking, when you're not in the room and we're talking about you. Everything we do is for this, is so that you would be holy. And, and I know, I know. A lot of people just want their life to work, and so we provide classes, and we say, man, I, 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 I just, I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be, I want a better marriage because better marriages are better than what I'm living with. And so you go to those classes, and so we have our, you know, right, our, our communities. There's their life, life stage classes, and you go in there going, I need a better marriage. And everybody in leadership is going, uh-huh, that's good and cool and all, but you need to be, you want to be a good husband? Be a holy husband. You want a good marriage? Be a holy wife. You're kind of freaked out because now you're a parent and now there's a lot of kids in the house or something and you go, boy, what I need is 10 ways to have a better family because I want a better family. And we're like, you know what, that's great and all. When you come to our community on parents, we're going to give you the 10 ways to be a better parent. But behind the scenes, here's the theme of every lesson. You want to be a good dad? Be a holy dad. You want to be a good mom? Be a holy mom. And that's why all our classes, you know, are going through right now, teaching each other how to speak love into the souls of the people that we live with, learning their love language so that you can do that. And it's an overflow. It's not a job description. It's not a list of things to do. It's an overflow of this. Here, O oh Christian, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is one. That's what we do here. That's our, that's, that's our modus operandi. That's what we're trying to do. Let Jehovah be your vision. Let Jehovah be your vision, and your faith will expand. You're going to live a life worth telling about. You'll live a life that glorifies God. Who wants that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, First, Jehovah God, I'd ask that your spirit would help convict us of all the times, maybe in just the last week is all we can endure, of when we said you were this way when you were otherwise. God, I'd ask that you would expose to our souls the idol that we've made. And not only is this idol probably in our image, but we've put a name tag on it and made it and made it say Jehovah, and that is not you. You are not like that, and it's no wonder we can't trust you. And so, God, I repent that I have made an idol of what I want you to be. 
instead of who you've declared yourself to be and proven yourself to be. And you are for us. And who cares who's against us? You did not withhold your only son that we might experience your love. And so how will you not also with him freely give us all the things that we desire? So, Lord, I'd ask that you would help us learn to live within the parameters of, of the humility of, of just being responsible. Lord, let us be a church of individuals whose faith just continues to grow, not because of the size of our faith, but because of the understanding of who you are. Lord, I'd pray, just like it says in the glass, that we would learn how to love you with all our heart, soul, and strength. We can't wait to see what you have in store for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.